welcome to How to Love Successfully. This is a podcast for female leaders who are looking for that loving connection and making their uh, love life as much of a success as their careers have been. Here we talk about dating successfully and creating a loving relationship. I am your host, Dr. Marie Kovanen. I'm a registered psychologist and a conscious dating coach. For the past 15 years, I have been working with individuals and couples and help them with their relationships. I share from my personal experiences of dating. I share my observations from working with clients about what makes relationships successful and how to find the right person for you. I would love to invite you to follow this podcast to get notified of the new episodes and join my email as you will find the link in the show notes to get dating tips and notifications of any new materials. But now let's go into this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of How to Love Successfully with me, Dr. Mari Govanen and I'm a registered psychologist and a conscious dating coach. And today I have another wonderful guest here with me. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. So my guest is Sophie Gwinnett, and she's a clinical psychologist. And welcome, Sophie. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming here today. And let me tell you a little bit about her. So Sophie is a clinical psychologist. TEDx speaker and director of Brightside Psychology. Over her 20-year career, she has worked with individuals, couples, and families to heal relational trauma and build healthy, secure connections. More recently, she has applied her professional and some personal knowledge to the area of dating, sharing her ideas in her 2022 talk, Breaking Free, Three Steps for a Better Romantic Future. Sophie is passionate about all things attachment related and helping people not only survive, but to thrive in their relationships. Oh my goodness. I'm so looking forward to this conversation with you because as we had a bit of a conversation just before starting that we share this love for attachment. And this is perhaps one of the most important things to talk about when it comes to dating and finding the right relationship mm-hmm. and then even building a relationship. So could you tell me a little bit bit about how did you get interested in this area, in attachment and relationship and what's really driven that for you? Okay. Hi, Mari. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and yeah, I'm very passionate about attachment theory and relationships. It's great to have this opportunity to have this conversation with you. So my interest in attachments theory started over 20 years ago. I've been working in clinical psychology services for about 22 years now. And I started my career as an assistant psychologist and then a trainee working in something called Sure Start Centres. I'm not sure if they're still around and a lot of them did go. To, they, they were fabulous because yes. what they were were these community hubs that we were designed to wrap around parents right from the start of pregnancy through to the point at which their child started school and they were they had multidisciplinary teams so psychologists midwives health visitors dietitians 
And the idea was we were supporting new parents to build healthy, secure connections with their children and really give those kids the best start in life. So that's where my interest in attachment theory started and using attachment models clinically. And it gave me a really good grounding, I think, in attachment. And then as I went through my career, I worked in several different services when I was training and and shortly after training. And then in my NHS career, I settled for many years working in a hospital with people with physical health problems. Mm -hmm. And I would often find myself working with people with very serious clinical diagnoses or at the end of their lives. And what I found is that attachment theory is relevant to every life stage because ultimately it's about the quality of the relationships that we have and people who have good quality secure relationships and the research supports this Mm. do tend to fare better physically and emotionally um I've also got my own practice now where I work with individuals and couples. I work with a wide range of presenting difficulties, Mm. but I've not lost that interest in attachment. Mm. And something I will always explore with my clients is the quality of their relationships. Because I think it does have a big impact on how people show up in life, how they cope with difficulties and how they tend to fare in the long term. Absolutely. So if anyone... Obviously, attachment is thrown about a little bit now on social media. But if you are someone who doesn't really know much about it, so could you about in a kind of snapshot, when we talk about attachment, what are we talking really here? So, yeah, so attachment is really about the bonds that we form. So we're born into the world wired to Mm. connect with others. It's a survival response. Mm. We are social beings, aren't we? And we're biologically predisposed, if you like, to form safe and secure attachments with others. And obviously in infancy and early childhood, our main attachment figure is our primary caregiver, usually a parent. Mm. Okay. Now, if that if our, if the caregiving that we receive early in childhood is consistent, is reliable, is responsive, is attuned, that infant will learn very early on that relationships are a source of comfort, they're a source of safety, that they can depend on others, and it's safe to express their needs because they know that those needs are likely to be met. Mm. Now, if a child has a different experience of being cared for, there's lots of reasons why this can happen. Mm. It's never about parent blaming, but being realistic about how hard it can be sometimes Mm. to give that consistent and responsive caregiving. But if the child isn't able to access that, then what they will generally do is adapt to that relationship. Mm. They will adjust their behaviour so that they can still, to the best of their ability, survive and thrive within that family system. So they will learn what needs are safe to express Mm. and what they might need to suppress. And what we often see, if I talk about the two main insecure attachment Mm. styles, we will typically see, I know there is a third, but I don't know that we we want to go into that today, but what we will typically see is these children will form either an anxious or sometimes it's called ambivalent attachment Mm. style 
or an avoidant stroke dismissive attachment style. So in the anxious ambivalent attachment style, we will typically see more behaviors that are designed to draw their caregiver close. Mm. Yeah, it's almost this sort of, don't forget about me, please don't overlook me and need mm. to make sure that you continue to be me and meet my needs as much as possible. And then in the avoidant attachment style, there are more behaviors that are designed to keep from distance from the caregiver. Okay, because that feels safe or that's the child's best adaptation. Yeah. Now, what happens in childhood, as we know, mm-hmm. doesn't stay in childhood, no. does it? No. It can get wired into our nervous system. Absolutely. And these adaptations can become patterns that sort of follow us through life. And I think it's important to stay with attachment as well. That it's not necessarily stable, but other significant yes. relationships and in adulthood relationships with partners can change our attachment style. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, there's so much misinformation and blame and shame mm. and some, if you read about attachment online, yeah. written by people who are not clinicians and they just go by taking bits and then I guess it makes quite good posts and things like that and which are quite not nice and might leave someone feeling quite bad about themselves if they find themselves under particular label or something like that absolutely it's been really interesting and I'm sure you've found this Mm. too with somebody who has a really strong interest in attachment how it's taken off in the general public yes over recent years and you go on TikTok on Instagram there is so much out there about attachment but a lot of it is used in a very pathologizing way isn't it there's something wrong with you yes if you have an insecure attachment style around 50 percent of the population do have an insecure mm. attachment style and actually i think that recognizing that your attachment style is how you adapted yeah to your early relationships or to your relationships they were survival mechanisms absolutely nothing wrong with them yeah it's how you learn to survive and yes. thrive in life and it, it doesn't mean that if you have particular difficulties right now that you can't overcome them or that in relationship, like you said, that in a secure relationship or in the relationship, you can learn certain skills, but you can also do other work to help yourself and so on. So it's not fixed by any means or anything like that. So just Absolutely. Mm. And I'm a firm believer that the very best place to heal old attachment wounds is in a loving relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then going into, you said that in the intro even, that there was this professional interest and then you had Mm. a little bit of a personal interest. So could you tell a little bit about this personal interest? (laughs) (laughs) Lay it all out there. Okay, so in terms of my own relationship history, I I got married in my 20s. So I met my ex-husband when I was still quite young and we married quite young. We had our three wonderful boys who are now teenagers and young adults. And I think in our 20s, it worked well, but we did come from very different family backgrounds and our families had very different values. And whilst I think in our 20s, values weren't really felt or seen Mm. too much. I think when we got into our early 30s, Mm. we'd become parents. Mm. We both had very different careers that we were both very committed to as well. I think those different 
Since I started to show it more, we separated when I was in my early thirties and that's when I had my first experience of online dating. Wow. Mm-hmm. And back then, because I had a young family in my household, I was a single mom. What I will say is that my ex-husband is an absolutely brilliant co-parent and we've always been able to maintain a great co-parenting relationship and that's been really important to me. But in my household, I was a single mum and starting to explore the dating scene. But the uh, time that I could commit to dating Mm. was very limited. Mm. So I did date. I went on some really great first Mm dates. I went on a few great second dates. I actually really enjoyed the experience at the time. And I don't know if that was in part because I was fully committed to it. Mm. It was a kind of, oh, I've got, I've got to start a date. I'm free without the kids. Why don't I try going on a date? Yes. Yes. Exploring the world a little bit after a long-term relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I did meet somebody Mm -hmm. who I then got into a relationship with. Mm And we, again, we had some very different values. So we really connected in terms of the values of humor and fun. We had lots of fun together. We had a great time together. But in terms of level of commitment, Mm. in terms of future plans, in terms of how we wanted to work a relationship around our children, because we each had three children, we really found it hard to align. and. We ended up in this on-off relationship, which went on for the best part of a decade. Something happened as well very early on in that relationship to me. So I had some really serious health problems for a period of time. So mm-hmm. I uh, had treatment for quite an aggressive form of cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was about two years after meeting this person. They threw something like that and it not changed you fundamentally, mm-hmm. which it did. And I'm you know, very pleased to say that the treatment was successful and I overcame the cancer. But I think what started to happen was I started to change what I wanted mm. from a relationship. Now, anybody who's been through an experience like that or has been through cancer will know that it doesn't go away the day that the treatment finishes. Yeah. You have these years afterwards of waiting and wondering, is it going to come back? Yeah. If it does, how will I carry? What mm. will that be like? And I think what happened was I started to need more from yeah. a relationship than that relationship could give me. Yeah. I'd started to crave a level of support and security yeah. and consistency mm. and reliability that this relationship just wasn't designed for. Mm. So after, like I said, a number of years of on, off, on, off, mm. we did separate. And by this time I was in my early 40s. Mm. And this is when I hit the dating scene for the second time okay. in my life. Yes. But before I did, mm. I'd already had some therapy and I continued mm. to engage in therapy. And because I was doing a lot of this work with my own clients, exploring mm. relationship patterns, thinking about their attachment styles, I decided I was going to do this myself. And I really felt that the best place for me to do that was in therapy. I explored my past relationship patterns. Mm-hmm. I recognized that there is perhaps a bit of an avoidance brought to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that perhaps I was seeking out relationships with people who did have different values to me mm-hmm. because that meant that there was going to be this faith distance and actually when I looked back at, at my main relationships one of the triggers for me to feel quite anxious in a relationship is that feeling that it's too close right. now I 
if I tell you a bit about my childhood, yeah. I do come from a very loving family. I'm very fortunate, but it was also a very busy family. So I was the youngest of three girls. Mm. And in my first seven years of life, my parents also fostered teenagers. So you can imagine this oh my goodness. busy household. Mm. And my parents also worked really hard. My, my dad was a really busy music teacher. My mum worked in higher education and she did a degree mm. and a PhD. Wow. You know, it's going on. And we learned to be quite independent. Yes. We learned to be quite self-sufficient. But also, I would say both my parents had strong feminist values mm. and raising three girls, they wanted us to know that we could show up in the world and belong mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. despite the patriarchy. Yeah, we yeah. didn't need to rely on a guy to do that. Yeah. So there were these kind of values that were instilled in me around being independent, doing things for myself. And that can, as we know, in adult relationships, sometimes be a bit of a blessing and sometimes be a bit of a curse, right? Absolutely. And especially the audience here. Oh. This podcast is aimed at successful women, driven, high achieving female leaders. Yeah. And I find that this is often the way you've grown up to be quite independent and you've grown up to be someone who does things, focus, all of that kind of stuff and not needing so, or at least having to suppress maybe those parts that would need others. Absolutely. And, and maybe there's a bit of shame in that too. So then going into dating, I wonder how that was for you now reflecting back when you were dating from that position. Yeah. Independent and... Yeah, and and dating and being in a relationship where it, I felt like I had to fight to retain a level of independence mm. and self sufficiency, and I think what what was really helpful in my therapy was exploring that actually it's okay to open up yeah. to a relationship. It's okay to need. It's okay to have wants and to have needs. Yeah. It's okay to crave connection, Absolutely. and that's not a weakness. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I had my second experience of dating. I yes. had a bit of a false start. So oh. I dated somebody for a few months and then mm-hmm. recognized, oh, hang on a moment, we've got different values here. Mm. One of my patterns is I can shape shift in a relationship. So I become a version of me that I think is acceptable to the other person, right. which I think is very common. It's very common in women, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I began to recognize that, that pattern occurring mm. again. So... I knew now I was like armed and I was equipped with this knowledge of my past patterns and what I didn't want to repeat again. And so I came out of that and very soon afterwards I met my now partner. And yeah, we've got a wonderful relationship. He's definitely got a very secure attachment. Mm -hmm. So he's he's great for me. But we share a lot of the same bad news. We have a lot of the same interests as well as some separate interests. Mm But we also share the same values in terms of the relationship and where we want it to go and what we want to get from the relationship. And that's so important for me. That's so amazing. Yeah. And and with this knowledge, and I always recommend to everyone to do self-exploration, whether Mm. it's in some form of therapy, coaching or whatever, or even reading books. And understanding yourself before you go yes. into, or even whilst you are dating, but the more you understand about yourself, the better, really. Absolutely. And like yeah. you said, that the differences in values, 
you came to realize in your first marriage and then this second long-term mm -hmm. relationship. And then now you've found a place where your values are aligned. And how yeah. different is it then from those previous relationships? How does it feel to be in that relationship when the values align and things are, your starts from a completely different yeah. place, I could imagine. Yeah, it, it feels completely different. I remember, I vividly remember driving home from our fourth date mm. and feeling this overwhelming sense of relief. Oh. That's all I can describe mm. it as. It was the sense of it is out there and I mm. have found it. Oh, this thing, nice. this sense of safety that I've craved, this, this relationship where we align when and I think it is the first time that I've had that. And what I'm able to do in this relationship is show up authentically. Yes. I can be 100% myself. I can bring every part of me into the relationship and they're all loved and they're all accepted. I don't have to shapeshift. I don't have to pretend to be somebody else. And there's something really liberating about that. Good thing. Because deep down, all of us, we just grave to be accepted as of people we are fully yeah but yeah. like for so many people we just end up in relationships and in the beginning and especially if you meet someone in 20s even 30s it depends on how much maybe there's a lot more stuff around self-awareness even for people in yeah. their 20s these days so maybe it's not quite I remember being in my 20s, completely oblivious to all of this. And, yeah. and then it was only after a few knockbacks and what have you start to question, well, maybe there's something mm -hmm. going on here. Yeah. You know, that's brilliant that things have really changed. But how important those values really are. They really are. Yeah. And I think, and like you said, being able to do the work. As well. So being able to reflect on your past patterns, being mm. able to reflect on well, why, what is it that I'm drawn towards? So why is that? I did a lot of hard work and sometimes I joke with my partner that he's my prize. He's my prize for doing the hard work and therapy. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you up level the kind of standard of your relationships. The, the, when you do work, then you expect more, you know yourself, you expect more. In terms of the quality of the relationship, you expect more when you do that yeah. kind of work. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and we're so much more in tune with our own needs, aren't we? So we don't go blindly into dating or into relationships. We're much better at saying, this is what I need from a partnership for a relationship. Yes, absolutely. And those conversations early on are so important. But I don't think many people do those or this often maybe yeah. it's a, more of a female thing men may not have previously especially have had the vocabulary to say these kind of things and then maybe for women it's about fear of that like you were saying that you're trying to be someone that the person likes instead of saying actually this is the person who I am and um, this is what yeah. I want in a relationship and what kind of relationship yeah. I want to be, have in the future and then whether it works with that person or not, that's a different matter. Because if we are expecting the other either meet our needs completely or that we need to be what the other person wants, then we lose ourselves. And yeah, we do. And I think we build up resentment mm -hmm. over time mm -hmm. as well, don't we? If we're able to bring all parts of ourselves to the relationship, those hidden parts, yeah. they become quite resentful, don't they? Absolutely. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if someone doesn't start the relationship 
with aligned values or being authentically themselves and they are being someone who they're not, then there comes a point where the truth comes out in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and then it's just like, but you were this, but now you're that. What's going on? Yeah. And it usually comes out in conflict, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you got a dating dilemma? Are you wondering what is stopping you from finding love? If you haven't heard yet, I have free 30 minute dating clinic consultations available every month. And doing these, meetings i will ask you specific questions to help you to figure out what is stopping you from finding love you will leave with clarity and a plan how to move forward in finding love for you you can find me details in the show notes and i would love to see you there let's go now back to the episode how can someone start doing this work of understanding the patterns and their values and all of that where just even start with that kind of work so, so in my TEDx talk I laid it out in three steps which okay. I felt might make sense for yeah. people so the first step is about exploring your past relationship pattern so before you go into dating mm-hmm. or whilst you're dating taking the time either in therapy Learning or through talking to friends, siblings, mm-hmm. but being able to explore what your patterns are. And this is about really getting curious about yourself. Because I think we're very good, aren't we, when we're looking at our past relationship, mm-hmm. at being able to talk about the other person. Yes. Yeah, they were this, they were that, they didn't show up enough or they showed it too much. Mm-hmm. But what we're really looking for here is what patterns do we have what who are we drawn towards Mm. and when we are in relationship how do we tend to show up and how do we behave when we're anxious and what triggers us because we are the only common factor in all of our past relationships right absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah so it's about really being able to dig deep and understand ourselves in relationship and in dating and um, you can even go back a bit further and ask yourself, where do these patterns come from? Mm. What were my early experiences of, of relationship? And I would to anybody recommend doing this in therapy if that's an option yeah. for you to seek a therapist who has quite a good grounding in attachment theory and can help you to unpick some of this stuff. Absolutely. And when you're all exploring your past patterns what you might find is that you're able to pick and value certain things that Mm. you recognize are really important to you are you really looking at when do I feel most safe in a relationship and what are the factors that contribute to that but also what makes me anxious what makes me want to withdraw from a relationship Mm. or what makes me want so that I've got to fight for it and if you're able to journal this out, then all the better because you've got it written down. Yeah. It's something you'll keep coming back to. So that's the first step that I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about being able to explore our past patterns. And then from that, which is the second step, is about identifying our relationship values. These are the principles and the qualities that guide how we tend to act, conduct ourselves in relationships and in dating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they really do form the foundation for how we treat ourselves and how we treat others and how we show up. Some common relationship values might be trust, honesty, mm-hmm. reliability, 
independence, dependence, and humor, equality. But if you've done the work in the initial step of exploring your past patterns, then it does make this second step a bit easier because you'll already have quite a lot of that mm. information there. Okay. And I think sometimes when I'm doing this work with clients, they can get a little bit confused about values and, and mix them up with how they think they ought to behave right. yes. in a relationship mm. or what might make them more appealing to mm. somebody else. Mm. But these values are really about you as an individual. What are those qualities? What are those principles that matter most to you that enable you to flourish mm. in a relationship and feel safe? Now, one of the ways that I do this in therapy with clients <laughs> is I have something called a values card. And so we've got about 100 cards with different values on them. And if you wanted to do something like this at home, there are lists of values that yes. you can download from the internet. <laughs> and I will ask clients to divide them into three piles. So we've got not important to me and very important to me. And what we'll typically find is when they've sorted these values into three piles is that there's loads in the very important to me pile. But then comes the tricky step then to pick out their eight most important values. Mm. And it's not to say that the others aren't important. We know that all the others are still important. But picking out your eight most important values when it comes to relationships is a really useful exercise to do. And you can do that at home. You don't have to do that in therapy. Absolutely. Having clarity on what's really important, because then that gives you already a bit of direction. Where, where do I want to go in my next yeah. relationship? Instead of, I have no idea. I have vague idea, but it's the clarity <clears throat> is really important and having it fully there in front of you. Yeah, I always say to clients often that it's, you have to write these things that you're looking for down. Because if it's just in your head, you go on the date, you'll forget it, you'll get this hormonal rush and you're just like, I'll, I'll go with the gut feeling yeah. instead of, you actually need to go back and, okay, especially you've had a tendency to jump into things maybe. Yeah. It's to go back and then assess against your list. So yeah. that you've got some, it's becoming a researcher. Yeah. You know, that sort of bit more detached way of approaching this uh, assessment phase almost. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because if you look back at your past relationships yeah. that haven't worked out, what you'll find is there was misalignment in some of these key values that you wanted one thing and they wanted another. And that's what we will typically see in relationships that don't work out. But then the opposite is true. If you allow these values to guide you and to inform the decisions that you make with dating and relationships, then you're really setting yourself up to have a successful, compatible relationship. Absolutely. And those are so important to be like the guiding light for you instead of maybe some external yeah. qualities or what have you. Because when you go with what your heart really needs, it, yeah. it leads to connection. But if you go with what you think you should be wanting or something like that's not leads you to a, a healthy, sort of healthy relationship. Yeah. And beware of high chemistry. Yes. In the early stages. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a toxic cocktail. <laughs> but, but that's because often what we're drawn towards is what's familiar to us mm. over what is helpful mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. 
So if we didn't have uh, a great experience of being cared for when we were young, we're more likely to be drawn towards relationships that repeat some of those patterns, right? Because our brain likes the familiar. It is drawn towards the familiar, but we can override that. When we've got the knowledge, when we've got the insight into those patterns, we can recognize them when they're starting to show up and we can say, ah, I know what that chemistry is about. That's because it's familiar. Yes. Yes. But that isn't what's necessarily good for me. Absolutely. And because sometimes women may say, oh, why, why do I keep going for this guy who's maybe quite distant or what have the uh, comes and goes and what have the, and, and there's, oh, but they're so good looking or they're quite attractive. So being distracted by a lot of stuff, because then if you go back to and look at the values and assess yeah. from that point and say, oh, okay, the value, you know, it doesn't match because if I want a loving, consistent relationship, their behavior is not demonstrating any of that. So you can use your more rational brain then instead of just those hormonal (laughs) responses to guide you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really nice to have those something to guide you, isn't it? Because dating can be overwhelming. It can feel very uncertain. Yeah. But when we've got these values that allow us to in, inform how we show up, inform our decisions, I can make the whole process feel a bit safer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. there is that guiding light, really. Where yeah. do I want to go? It is where I feel safe and really comfortable in that, in that place yeah. instead yeah. of just going on dates on people where straight away that it's not the the right match in any way at all. And and I think we need to do start the selection process quite early on. So mm-hmm. many times, I don't know where you, I, I do remember someone saying that actually some of the even dating apps, which obviously they get their money from people staying there, but some of the dating apps advise that just go out on as many dates as possible but you completely burn mm. yourself out. And then if you haven't got anything to guide you, so even the selection process, it becomes easier when you have those values yeah. to go by and you don't need to go on dates with everyone because if all really early on they behavior showing that there's misalignment, then you don't waste your time on, on that person. Absolutely. Yeah, it allows you to be more selective just mm. in terms of who you invest time in. Yeah. Yeah. So is there part three? We didn't have a part three. No, no we can yes. get back to it. Yeah. So the third step that I talk about in my TEDx talk mm. is about committing to act on your values. Yes. Now, I think it's Esther Perel who, who just has that lovely phrase, love is a verb. And I think it's really helpful to view love as an action rather than a feeling leverage what we do we're not passive bystanders when it comes to love and relationships we really need to show up and act in ways that are going to give us our best chance of finding successful love right Absolutely. so this is about how do we create dating experiences that are aligned with our values And when we do meet somebody, how do we co-create a really healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with them? This is all about the kind of the action phase, the doing Mm -hmm. phase, the behavior phase, which was where we were going when we were talking about being selective with who we date. 
and how we show up. And, and it's about being really conscious and intentional mm. with our behavior. Because if we leave things to automatic pilot, we're much more likely to repeat those old and unhelpful patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, just allowing those values to guide us, mm. to guide who we choose to go on a date with, how we show up on that date, whether we choose to see them again, the types of dates that we go on, yeah. they, they can all be informed by these values. So that's really is so important. And I think this has been a really helpful conversation to have mm-hmm. because there are so many women. Wherever you read about someone or someone says that they're dating, they literally just launch into it. And yeah, very yeah. few people who actually do this work. And it is so important. And even your own story shows really how how important it is and what happened. Like you said, was there then? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how it feels about being called my prize, but there we go. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> Maybe it's the relationship, the quality of the relationship the is quality the quality of the yeah. relationship. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I had, I did kind of these two very exp- different experiences of dating in adulthood. You know, the first experience when we came out of my marriage when I was in my early thirties and then that second experience in my kids coming back into it again, but so much better informed the second time around. It has been such a wonderful conversation. What would be the best way to connect with you if someone wanted to know more about your work and what's the best way to connect with you? Sure. Okay. So I would suggest watching my TED talk. Yes. That's breaking free, three steps to a better romance future you can google me i'm the director of right side psychology if you want to work with me you can look me up at www.brightsidepsychology.com i'm not a huge social media person <laughs> as i think mari but i'm trying to get better mm-hmm. and i'm on instagram at dr sophie gwinnett and i'm on facebook which is right bright side psychology and you can follow me on both of those Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. And, and do thank you for having me. Check out that uh, TED talk. I think it's important to sometimes hear these, these conversations more than once because it always lands differently first time you hear it and then hearing mm-hmm. it all over and, and, and so on. So thank you so much for this conversation. And yeah, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you today. If you learned something new, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. That way other women like you can hear about this and learn and also build a beautiful relationship with you. And please remember, give yourself the love you want first and then you will attract the right person and the right relationship.